Okie dokie, oh. a podcast for those addicted to the study of scripture. Welcome fellow addicts, this is your safe place to OD. Samuel! Here I am. What are we going to talk about today? Today we're continuing our journey through the Gospels. This is Gospels number 8. In the previous episode, we learned about the wise men or the Magi from the east who came to King Herod to tell them about the news of this Messiah being born. And we just got the first taste of what type of character King Herod actually has with how he went about um, assigning the wise men to go find him. And we're about to find out a lot more about his character in this episode. Anything you need to say before we get started? No, I don't think so. The last time we saw our heroes, they were they were in Egypt, right? That's right. Taking so, refuge in the nations. Yeah. So, now let's get going. What are we at? Matthew chapter 2 verse 16, is that right? Yes. All right. Let's get this thing rolling. Verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. There it is. (laughs) Hello, Mr. Bad Guy. (laughs) All right. Whoo. There's a lot of stuff in here, though. Uh, Let's let's, uh, think about a couple things. Number one. Let's let's touch on timetables again, right? We've got uh, Jesus's birth. Everybody always wants to know, you know, when was he born, all that kind of thing. Well, everything that we've been finding so far in the scriptures is probably leaning us toward right around 6 BC. Now, you know, whatever, maybe we're right, maybe we're wrong, but this is what it looks like. And, and, you know, this is it's just trying to be consistent with everything that we've read thus far and whatever we can pull from history. So, I don't know, Samuel, 6 BC, is that good news or bad news? Do you know? I'm not sure. I, just, I mean, I don't have a problem with that date. Yeah, I don't either. I, I, I don't know if people, <laughs> if that like makes people freak out because they think it should be zero or I don't know. Whatever. Well, if people are can remember from the previous episode on how you use that date to say that um, Jesus's actual age potentially fits the age of Isaac at the top of the mountain with the sacrifice. Yeah. I mean, if that if that doesn't make you be like 6 BC, then I don't know what is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I wish there was some way to know that those stories were true or false, you know, but whatever, it's a it's cool just thinking about it, talking mm-hmm. about it. All right, so all right, but here's the thing. Um and I don't know about you, Samuel, but whenever I think about uh Herod sending to have all these kids killed and all this kind of stuff. I'm sure everybody's got a different picture in their head, but I mean, if you were just going to pick a number just out of your head, how many kids would you think were being killed in this awful massacre? Hundreds? Thousands? I always picture a ginormous number, like genocide level. Yeah, something just just traumatically awful, right? Well, I don't want to take away, you know, from the 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 horror of the event, okay? But 
there have been a lot of really smart people who've spent a lot of time trying to figure out what would this really have looked like? How many kids would have been killed during this thing? And you're not going to believe this number. They think that it's somewhere around 20. <laughs> Need a sound effect of a balloon deflating right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and that might even be on the high side, right? And I don't, it's just anticlimactic, right? But it was still a very horrible event. But the reason that maybe it didn't make too many history books, in fact, it only makes one of the Gospels, that kind of deal, is because this wasn't such a big thing for Herod. He did far worse things. And so this was kind of a small thing. So anyway, hate to burst people's bubbles or deflate their balloons, like you said, but you know, I, I think I think these scholars are probably pretty right on, and so twenty or less is uh is a good picture to have in your head. I mean twenty or two thousand or two hundred thousand, the act of killing a toddler or a baby or an infant is still horrific. Yeah. Like regardless of the number. Yeah. Oh, it's sickening. Really. But well, you know, what whatever. Here we are trying to read the story. So there's more though. Um uh just this whole this whole idea of babies being killed, does that take you back to anything in your old testament, Samuel? Another call back to the Torah with Exodus and um Pharaoh throwing babies into the Nile. Exactly. Exactly. And this is an important parallel, okay? Because this parallel exists all through the scriptures, and we need to keep it in mind always as we're working our way through. The parallel is this. Moses parallels Jesus. Moses is the first redeemer. Jesus is the ultimate redeemer. The lives of these two men, as we see them in the scriptures, they're just filled with parallels and almost a symmetry. That's probably taken a little too far, but it's a lot. You might even say, Samuel, you know, you're familiar with this, the Torah Club commentaries from FFOZ. Uh-huh. You might say that this whole Moses-Jesus thing, it's shadows of the Messiah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Moses, that's right. But anyway, so there's that. Um, that we, we always have to have in mind Moses and Jesus and, and all the different things they're going through and all the relationships there. And then, well, real quick, if if yeah. people know their New Testament, they should be thinking of Book of Hebrews in the third chapter, first six verses talk about oh. the, that parallel between Moses and Jesus, and saying that Jesus was worth more glory than Moses, but he wasn't downplaying Moses. It, it, in that passage, it says that Moses was a faithful servant over God's household, yeah. but Jesus was like a faithful son over God's household. So yeah. I don't know. That's really cool. It is cool. It's awesome. And since you brought it up, Egypt, that is, what irony. Yeah. <laughs> in, in, in the original story, all the babies are being killed in Egypt, and in this story, Jesus is sent to Egypt to avoid being a part of the baby killing. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Crazy connection. Yeah. Boy, I, there's so much in our Bibles we just don't know. But anyway, just to, to kind of highlight some of the parallels here, maybe we could picture Herod is kind of kind of uh, equal to Pharaoh. And then you got the wise men 
um, only because the wise men are kind of considered, you know, magicians and astrologers and all that. They're kind of equal to Pharaoh's magicians, okay? Uh, we already talked about Moses and Jesus. And then you, you'd kind of have to say Israel itself would be equal to Mary and Joseph, hmm. the ones, you know, being called out or saved or whatever. Yeah. But let's go on. So he kills all the babies. Luke says this in verse 17, Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. And Samuel, here it is again. Matthew, he's going back to the Old Testament scriptures, and he's using them as a foundation and as an authority. And yet, here again, here's Matthew taking those scriptures out of context because he's trying to make a new point. Mm -hmm. And if we're not going to review them all, but if we were to review everything we've talked about so far and pay attention to everything that's coming ahead, Matthew seems to operate with this idea that all of the scriptures, and in his case, that means the Old Testament, all of the scriptures point to Messiah. So true fulfillment of all of the scriptures actually come in him, in Messiah, right? So it, it, just, to, just to show you, Jeremiah 31, 15, uh, where this came from, verse, verse 18 is just calling from that. It's about Israel, and specifically it's about Judah, the southern kingdom. It's about them being taken into exile by Babylon. And Matthew reapplies that prophecy to the killing of the children, the babies, in Bethlehem, right? So again, he's, he's ripping it out of its context, and yet at the same time, he's sticking to the foundation, sticking to the overarching story, and using it in a, in a creative way. Definitely. So, I don't know, this is kind of neat. One little side note, where Jerusalem is and where Bethlehem is, if you think about the, the, the history, what we know, roads, this, that, whatever, it, it would make sense that for the soldiers to go and kill all the babies, they would pass by what is traditionally regarded as Rachel's tomb on that road. And then after they killed all the babies, when they went back to wherever they came from, they would walk by Rachel's tomb. Uh huh. So this idea of Rachel weeping for her children, getting tied in with the road that the soldiers would have had to travel and all that, another kind of cool picture. Is it still a practiced location for practicing Jews? Um, do, they, do they frequent that place in times of mourning? Well, um, it's, a, it's a really good question. The, the problem is that tourism has so greatly affected the region that, uh, well, there's just a lot of controversy about, okay, was this the spot or was that the spot? You know, and it doesn't matter what you're talking about, whether it's Rachel's tomb or anything else. There's just a lot of confusion. And so um, it, uh, it sort of takes the takes the real oomph out of uh, that kind of thing. So they're, they're not going to, probably traditional Jews aren't going to honor the sites near as much as you might think because it's, it's become so uh, secularized, I guess you yeah. could say. Yeah. Okay. 
All right, uh, we should go on. Uh, Verse 19. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. Okay, so... I mean, that all feels like it happened pretty quickly, right? Hey, get out of Egypt, Herod kills the babies, and boom, he's dead. Well, um, the the truth is, it, it actually doesn't seem like they would have been in Egypt very long. We may talk more about that, but, but think about it. If he was born in six, he was killed in, killing babies less than two, and then Herod dies and they come back, it's probably uh, not much later than, uh, well, Herod dies in 4 B.C., we know that mm-hmm. from history, pretty, pretty pretty secure. So they just couldn't have been there very long. But Herod dies and Joseph gets another dream with an angel, except this time, hey, go back to Israel. And again, remember we talked about Moses and Jesus have all these parallels? Yep. Would you like to see another one? Oh, yeah. Hit me. Okay. All right. So in our verse 20 here, it says, for those who sought the child's life are dead. Okay. If you were to go back to Exodus 4.19, it's talking about um, Moses. God is talking to him and says, all the men who were seeking your life are dead. <laughs> That's wild. Isn't that great? Yeah. And I'm, I'm telling you, I, I, I'm fully convinced that all of these things that we see in the scripture where we're going, oh, how about that? Those sentences are very similar. Those aren't coincidence. The writer is doing this on purpose because he wants you to notice those connections. Yeah. It's on purpose. And, I mean, the fact that the Torah describes Moses at the end of Deuteronomy when God buries him, and they say that, you know, there has never been another prophet like Moses uh, in their history, like what... There is no better way to introduce a character to, um, I don't know, trump the the magnificence of Moses's character than the Messiah himself. So I don't know. I just think that's cool that like it took all that time through Israel's history for a character to come into the story that was greater than him, and it was Messiah. Yeah. Do you know what the there's a nickname, or I guess it would be a nick phrase, whatever of uh of the messiah is the prophet like moses Ooh, yeah so you say there's been none other like him right and then the messiah is supposed to be the prophet like moses so yeah oh good yeah these parallels they're not accidental they're doing it on purpose let's see more verse 21 and he rose this would be joseph at this point and he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. So again, Joseph seems to immediately obey. Uh, and, and it's not explicit about it, but it, perhaps when he woke up, as soon as he woke up, he, he grabbed the, the, his wife and baby and boom, they were gone, right? And they, they go back to Israel, but, okay, we don't know exactly where he was intending to go, all right? Uh, um, but just think about it for a second. He, 
he had grown up, lived, I guess, for a while in Nazareth, but then they went to Bethlehem. They have Jesus, the baby. They're there for a couple of years before God sends them to Egypt. And so where would they go back to? Well, maybe Bethlehem, right? We're not sure. Verse 22, but when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. So in case you were thinking, well, maybe he was already planning to go to Nazareth, that's, that verse right there would make you think, well, no, he probably wasn't. So maybe it was Bethlehem. I can't really tell. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. Joseph, he has every reason to be afraid because this Archelaus, which he's, he's the son of Herod, he is as bad as Herod himself. He's a bad, bad guy. But, okay, Joseph, he's pretty smart, especially when he has angels coming and visiting him in dreams, <laughs> yeah. telling him what to do, okay? <laughs> he knew that Archelaus didn't rule everywhere, and so he went back to Nazareth in the Galilee. It was ruled by Herod Antipas and was likely safer. And, of course, his name's going to come up later, right? Mm-hmm. And- I, I hate to go back a few verses, but while we were continuing on down, I just had something pop in my head about uh, the Jeremiah reference about Rachel weeping for her children. Do you care if I throw it in the mix just super quickly? Bring it on. Well, I know that there's stuff, you know, in the Midrash or Talmud about how Jewish people treat that uh, description of Rachel weeping for her children as something that goes hand in hand with exile. So Ah, I know that there is some text that say that Rachel is continually like she is still in the spiritual realm weeping for her children Israel because they are still in exile because the kingdom has not come and in this story you could say that Jesus was in exile because he had to leave his his homeland and his people to go to Egypt for safety and so you know that fits the narrative that he was briefly in exile until he was able to come back. Yeah. Oh, that's good. And and you know what? We should take a moment just to say, look, exile, really, really important topic. Most people, when they hear exile, think of the 70 years in Babylon. Okay, that was real. But what most people don't quite think about or, or really give give credence to is this idea that since the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, Israel has been in exile. And we, being joined in to the commonwealth of Israel as believers, we also are joining in that exile. Mm-hmm. Even though they have a state, I get it, but, but it's, they are still in exile. Yeah. And it, that exile will end when Messiah returns. Mm-hmm. So, sorry, thought we'd just throw that in there. But yeah, <laughs> good call on the exile stuff. All right, so uh, they come back and they have to go, well, not have to, they go back to the Galilee in Nazareth, in Galilee. Uh, And verse 23 says this, And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) 
There's a lot here as well, but let's one piece at a time. First of all, they've been away from Nazareth for, you know, a few years now. And they've been through a lot. They, they've traveled. Uh, they've actually gone to, you know, what we would think of as like from the country to the city. They, they've, um, they've probably done a lot of things that, that they never even knew existed or, you know, whatever. I mean, their life had to be very different for those few years, but now they're back in a familiar, quiet, slower place, right? So that's a thing. We've got to get that in our heads. But then, okay, so Matthew says something strange. He says that the prophets said the Messiah would be called a Nazarene. So, Samuel, do you have a scripture reference for me on that one? It's got crickets, man. Yeah, I think if we went to Google, we'd get Google crickets. (laughs) Because there is no scripture that says that. Really? But, but, here's the thing. We, what do we do? We have to try to figure out what, what, what was Matthew saying? Yeah. What, how can our scripture make sense? Has to be something so, deeper going on. That's right. So here's my story. You can take it or leave it, but here's my story. So um, Matthew, number one, he's referring to prophets. So already, you know, he's been careful all along, and you'll see he is later as well. He's very careful to either say the prophet or name the prophet or something because he's doing a very specific reference. But in this case, he's just talking about the prophets. And so already you've got to go with, well, this should be more of a general idea that should have been shared maybe among uh, the prophets or uh, ideas from things that the prophets have said or, or whatever it might be, right? So there's point number one. We're looking for some sort of common idea. And one that we can go back to is there's this thing where the Messiah will be called Branch. Now, I don't know about you, that just sounds weird, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but the word, the Hebrew word for Branch is Netzer. Okay? Mm Mm-hmm. Now, uh... What I'd like you to do, you know what, Samuel, go read for us. I want you to read Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. Got it. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Ah. So who's Jesse? He is uh, David's father. King David's father, that's right. And this says that a shoot is going to come forth from him. A branch is going to come forth. It's going to bear fruit. Okay. So Messiah will be called branch, Nazar. Okay. Now, Nazareth, if you were to look at it in the Hebrew, would look something like Nazareth. Whoa. Can you hear it? Yeah. Nazar, Nazareth. Yeah. So Messiah will be called Branch, Messiah will be called Nazarene, one from Nazareth, Nazareth, right? Moral of the story, we got to learn Hebrew. (laughs) I do look forward to that day. Yes. Yeah, I'm going to have to live a lot longer than I think I'm going to, but I plan (laughs) on learning it. It's coming. 
All right. So, so I, all of that's kind of cool. And this was all Matthew's uh, uh, story. And, and at this point, though, we need to switch. We need to go back over to Luke. So we're going to switch to Luke chapter 2, verse 39. And maybe just to, to help us get our head back in the space, the last time we were reading in Luke, they had gone to the temple, they were doing the purity and the redemption, and, you know, you had, what was it, uh, Simeon and Anna, mm-hmm. right? All of those things that were going on. Uh, and then Luke is going to pick up from there, and then he's going to skip right over everything that Matthew just told us, all right? So Luke 2.39 goes like this, and when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it fits right like, in there. Yeah, one sentence and it's the two bookends, right? <laughs> But so, but I, I want to point it out again because it's important. Luke, he's being very purposeful in letting us know that Mary and Joseph were very careful to keep the law. It's an important thread within Luke's story, within the whole story. I mean, obviously, it's going to be important with Jesus because he's the one who's supposedly without sin, right? Mm-hmm. And what is the definition of sin? Um. Oh no, I'm, <laughs> I'm having a brain freeze. Um, That's okay. Wow. You, there's two ways to look at it. The church would generally look at it, and they'll just go, "Well, it's any sort of disobedience to God, God's will." Yeah. But remember. Oh wait, I think I got it a, now. Do it. Is it uh, choosing your choosing to elevate your own will over God's will in your life? Ah, that's a good one. That's from the Genesis Garden story, isn't uh-huh. it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and and from a Jewish perspective, because remember, these are Jews in Israel talking about Jewish things. Sin is very explicitly violating the Torah, violating the law. Yeah. Right? And that gets into so, the Eastern versus Western thing where Western people treat sin as almost like a a disease that we have— you know, and we have to yeah. somehow expunge it, rather, whereas Jewish thinking treats it as specifically things that you do or you do not do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And they, I mean, they, it's your choice. Mm-hmm. That's their version of free will is, no, I cannot sin if I choose to not sin. Yeah. Now, we get it. Jesus was the only perfect one, but it's a very different mindset mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, but again, the the important thread running through the story and and all of the stories actually is this uh, very careful observance of the law. Okay, okay. But then, of course, uh, you know, uh, he Luke makes that point. Okay, they they did everything according to the law, but then he leaps forward, kind of skips over everything that Matthew told us from the temple, and now they're back in Nazareth. So Matthew's story would actually suggest like a a two to three year period at least. And and you know, people might wonder, well, you know, why does Matthew include it and Luke didn't? Uh who knows? I mean it could be maybe Luke didn't think that there was enough good evidence. He might have thought that. Or 
maybe as they were telling stories and they knew that someone else's existed, maybe there were certain ones they thought, you know what, I'm not going to repeat that one because he already did over there, and there's another story I want to tell that he didn't tell, and so I'll put those together. You know, who knows? Mm-hmm. We don't know. But uh, the reason I bring that up here is because if you were to read something like Josephus or something like that, you're not going to hear about Herod's killing of the babies. And some people use that as, a dev- as evidence that it didn't happen. And I think that's that's just that's being a little too rigid, you know. Yeah, for uh, sure. But whatever, we don't know why. But let's go on. Verse forty, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Okay, now you know how along the way we've been talking about all these guys reaching back and talking about things in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. making connections. Well, now Luke is now making a connection to something he already wrote. <laughs> I don't know if that counts or not, but he did it, right? So if we were to, uh, this, this, this phrase, the child grew and became strong, you just go back and look at Luke 180 when he's talking about John the Baptist as he's finishing up his story. And what does he say about him as he's headed out to the desert? And the child grew and became strong in spirit. Hmm. So... I mean, but that's an interesting parallel because it's, it's uh, in a sense, it's, it's trying to make a strong connection between Jesus's life and John the Baptist's life, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, it's important. It's important. Uh, but I want to make another point. The child grew, became strong, and was filled with wisdom. And I, I think that it is very normal. I think it's... it's uh, in some sense, it's even reasonable for people to read about stuff like this, living in the year 2020, um, having some familiarity with the story, looking back in time, and to kind of this, this idea of being filled with wisdom, they, they put a supernatural kind of uh, flavor to it, right? They make it seem like, oh, well, I mean, Jesus is God, so yeah, this wisdom that he has, it's all of... God's supernatural wisdom, right? I think that's a mistake. I think what we're seeing in Jesus, because he is he is attempting to live this life as a man, okay, we're just seeing an ever-increasing natural wisdom. It's just a consequence of his own loyalty and faithfulness just in his everyday life, Plus, he does actually have the favor of God upon him, as the verse says, right? And and what's interesting about that, who else did we hear that the favor of God was upon? His mother. Yeah, right? So, again, you read these stories, and it's so easy to read right over this stuff, but but things get repeated, things get connected, and it's all for your benefit, helping yeah. you, you know, put these things together. And I'm just having this picture in my mind of Jesus growing up in the same manner that normal Jewish kids would in that day where they were trained in the Torah and the writings and the prophets. And, you know, if you see that parallel between John and Jesus, you know, one became strong in spirit. It's, you know, it almost fits with what we've said in before of his role as a prophet to usher in, you know, the coming of Messiah. Yeah. And then Jesus, you know, 
his life epitomizes wisdom because wisdom should result in obedience. And so I don't know. Exactly. It's just, it's just really good. It is. Yeah. And I don't think you meant to, but you just provided the perfect segue into verses 41 and 42. Oh, sweet. <laughs> so here we go. Verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. So I know it probably sounds like I'm beating a dead horse here, but Luke again, he is emphasizing that this family is keeping the law. They are traveling to Jerusalem for the Passover, right? And he does a quick jump. Jesus is all of a sudden 12 years old. We get little or no detail of Jesus's life, right? Now, for what it's worth, back to you and your segue, I think that we can expect that, you know, little <laughs> young Jesus, I almost did another Ricky Bobby there, <laughs> little, little boy Jesus, I think that we can expect his everyday life was a lot like every other pious Jews' everyday life. Mm -hmm. I don't think there was something weird and miraculous about it. He was just a kid growing up, right? Now, here's what's important, though. Luke says that he was 12 years old, and this is an important date because Jesus was about to be considered an adult. Are you familiar with that Jewish ceremony at all, Samuel? Isn't it a bar mitzvah? Yeah, at bar mitzvah, Age 13, that's kind of like their rite of passage into adulthood, right? And so we know that he's 12. We know that the whole family's traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover. And so it's possible this may be the very first time that Jesus is able to offer his own sacrifice in the temple. That's pretty wild. Yeah. Now, do you remember... In, in all of the sacrificial system, it's a very interesting thing. God would set the rules. These are the sacrifices that you will do when and why and all that kind of thing. But he would often supply, oh, and hey, if you can't afford that, well, here's a cheaper way out. Mm -hmm. And here's an even cheaper way out, right? He, it was, God was very careful to, to give the poor the opportunity to participate, Right. And so the last we heard about Mary and Joseph, well, they seemed poor, except that they got the gifts from the kings or the, the magi, right? Mm -hmm. And then we don't really know what happened. Did they use all that money traveling or did, they, you know, we, we don't know. So if they were still poor, Jesus' sacrifice may have been nothing more than just a bird, right? We don't know. But it also may be, maybe he got to fa uh, sacrifice the family's Passover lamb. Or maybe he just got to join his father while they were doing it or something. We, we don't know these things, but you got to just try to get that image in your head, what's actually going on here. And so Joseph, Jesus, they're going to the temple, they're sacrificing the lamb, they're cooking the lamb, the whole family's eating this meal together. Uh, Joseph is telling the Exodus story. They're all singing songs together. Joseph is blessing the children. And, and then they, they actually are there for an entire week. They finish out the week 
with more Torah study and prayers, and they have to, you know, kind of be careful, special diet-related stuff, all those kind of things. But this is a huge family event that Luke is dropping on us, right? Mm-hmm. So we got to get that picture and then see what happens next. Yeah, and if, if people are struggling with that gap, you know, in Jesus's record of his life and his story from two years old to 12, I mean, I would say, you know, look back to Torah and how God, you know, instructs his his people on how parents are supposed to treat and interact with their child. I think the Shema in Deuteronomy 6 is like a perfect example for you to get an idea of what Jesus's adolescence would be like after, you know, uh, the Shema, you know, the, the call to hear that God is one and to love him with every part of your being um, in verse, this is Deuteronomy 6, verse 7, it says, you shall teach these things to your sons diligently and shall yes. talk with them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you would lie down and when you rise up and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead and you shall write them on the door post of your house and on your gates. And so if you pair that along with the patriarchal culture in that day of, you know, a, a son's role in that day was to create and continue the legacy of their father uh, yeah. with their own life. So I don't know. It, it It's playing off of, you know, the righteousness of Joseph and how he lived his life because when we get to his adulthood and we see who Jesus is then, I think that's attributing to how Joseph raised him. So I don't know, just some things going on in my mind as you said that, that I'm like, I, I think we've got a record. We just got to go back to see it. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And this whole thing, like you were talking about how they raise their kids, it's, it's not, you know, do as I say, but not as I do. <laughs> it's the exact opposite. It's, hey, I'm going to teach you these things. And then I'm going to show you these things. You're going to walk with me, and we're going to live them out together. Yeah. It's a beautiful picture. And another Genesis reference with Jacob and Esau, it's like Esau did not, he he was not interested in picking up that cross of carrying on uh, his father's legacy, but Jacob was, he was, he was hungry for it. And like, that's the picture of like, what a son, you know, they're excited to carry the legacy of their father onward. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot to that whole Jacob Esau story, but those are, yeah, those are good points. Mm -hmm. Good points. Okay. So they're there. They're in Jerusalem. They've been experiencing all of Passover week. It's an awesome thing. And now verse 43, when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. Okay. Uh, oh, Jesus, what did you do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, remember, he's never sinned. This is important. <laughs> uh, so, okay, just, a, just a, a picture to have in your head. When they traveled, it was very common for them to travel in groups. The reason they did this was for safety, and it just made everything easier, right? So it, there was probably a Nazareth group. 
that went up to Jerusalem together. And so when it says they were returning and supposing him to be in the group, the Nazareth group probably was all returning together, right? Now, again, uh, easier, safer, whatever. But as the festival concludes, the group gathers, are getting ready to go. But Jesus, being 12, he's on the cusp of adulthood. Well, he would have been expected to know this. And he would have just, you know, been expected to be in the group. There was no parental hovering. There's no helicopter parents here, right? And to be clear, there's no bad parenting going on here, right? But at the end of that day's journey, that's when it hits them. They're, they're, they're trying to find him. They, they're expecting to gather as a family, and he's nowhere to be found. And so what do they do? Their best guess, we got to go back. He must still be there. And so they immediately head back. So get to verse 46. It says, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Okay. Now, when it says after three days, is there more than one way to take that? <laughs> that is, There is, right? Yeah. Anybody who thinks they know, it's like, come on, dude, relax. Maybe you don't. Uh, it could be like this. It could be that they traveled for a day, they traveled back for a day, and then they spent three days searching. That would make sense in context. But it could also be they traveled for a day, they traveled a day back, and then they spent one day searching. That's a total of three. And then they find him. And it's not like it really matters which way it is or or that we have to figure it out, but it's just another example of, you know what? When you're reading, don't just blow by this stuff. Even little questions like this, man, I wonder I wonder what they mean by three days. I wonder how that worked. These are good questions that can lead to all sorts of discovery and conversations and whatever. Anyway, just wanted to point that out. But anyway, they get there and they find him. They find him sitting with the teachers of the law. But he's not just sitting, is he, Samuel? No, he's not. No. They were talking. So what was he doing? He was doing all kinds of things. He was listening, asking listening, questions, and answering. Asking questions. Yeah. And that's, I mean, it's kind of funny. It says that he, they found him listening and, and asking questions. And then it says that everybody was amazed because he was answering questions, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> I love that. But here's the thing. Everybody was amazed. This young boy, Jesus, was amazing. But I'm going to do it again. I, I think it would be a mistake if we were to somehow read this and think that Jesus was somehow displaying some sort of supernatural knowledge from God. I don't think that's what they're trying to portray here. I think we've we've got a young boy who is demonstrating 
an uncommon familiarity with the law. I think we have a young boy who's demonstrating a, uh, a, a deftness with the law. He's, it's like he's got a grasp of the complexities. He doesn't have the difficulties that many would have at his age. And that is amazing in a 12-year-old. So I don't think it's amazing like in a God sense. I think it's amazing in a human sense. Yeah. And I'm not even sure that it's amazing in a all of humanity sense. I think that he was amazing for a 12-year-old. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And that's still amazing and awesome. Right? But, but I, what I'm trying to do is kind of harp on this idea. I'm not saying that he isn't God. I mean, I hope people have heard enough of the podcast to know we have a very high Christology. We believe that he is, in fact, God. But he is living here. He, the life that he is living is as a man, as a human. And so this, this just trying to highlight that. I, I love um, this example that young Jesus paints. Uh, as a learner of the instruction of God to ask questions like uh, I just that just makes me smile to see you know it's okay to ask questions about the biblical story because right that leads to discovery and you you had said that it is interesting at the end when they said that they were amazed at his answers and isn't it common a lot of times between a rabbi and a student when a when a student asks a rabbi a question the rabbi responds by asking another question so <laughs> yes. it's a I'm, yes and so i don't know well and then i don't want this wait to a second into, wait a second oh speaking of a- asking questions what is our favorite answer i don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry you I wanted me to... to say, but wait, there's mirror. <laughs> no, no. I just had to get that out there because for people who are thinking, asking questions and people wanting to answer questions and stuff like that, do not be afraid to say, I don't know. Yeah. It's a perfectly good answer. Yes. I say it all the time. Yes. I, I was sorry. mainly just addressing when people say that... It, there's something wrong with your faith if you do have questions or it's your ah, goal in your yeah. faith journey to get to a point where you don't have to ask questions. I, I don't think that that is like an attribute that God wants or Jesus wanted with any of us. Um, nope. So every time I get questions answered, more pop up. Yeah. And it's great. Yeah. yeah. The, the other thing I was going to say really quickly um, is <sighs> And I don't want to speak for you with with us saying that this was amazing in a human sense. Can we treat Jesus's life as completely normal as a you know Jewish male until the John the Baptist baptism story where the Spirit descends and rests upon him? Can we say that I, I'm jumping ahead? I know, but does the do the does the spiritual supernatural stuff start? then and then we can treat his adolescence up until that point as you know like any other human like you and me yeah i think if we do our job and working our way through the gospels in a, a nice orderly fashion i think it's just going to jump off the page okay we're going to see it he's going to the holy spirit is going to come and rest on him 
And that's when all the miraculous stuff starts happening. Yeah. Oh, I feel that bad. That's a great picture. That's all right. It'll be weeks, months from now, yeah. probably. <laughs> Knowing us. But yeah, that's going to be good. That's okay. going to be good. Yeah. <clears throat> all right. So uh, verse 48. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Now, before I read verse 49, does that seem like a normal response to you, Samuel? Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Everybody, it's all good. Verse 49, this is Jesus talking. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? So here's Jesus, and somehow he seems kind of surprised at their behavior. You just said it seemed perfectly normal. I agreed with you. I bet everybody listening agreed. But Jesus is like, what? What? Why are you even looking for me? Didn't you know? How could they not know that his place in this world was among those engaged in the Father's business, meaning God, right? Mm-hmm. Now, here's the thing. We, get, we have to try to imagine this 12-year-old boy 2,000 years ago growing up in Israel as a Jew. This is a very pivotal point in his life. It's almost as if you can see his awareness of his relationship to God and his uh, calling from the Father, God, right? It seems to be blossoming within him right here, right now. And anybody who's ever had a teenager, 12-year-old boy, you know that there's, I mean, it's a weird transition going from boy to man, right? And, And he's doing it as well, and it's almost as if Jesus is, coming into his own he's trying to trying to figure out who he is and 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 in a sense he knows but of course this is where i'm supposed to be and yet he's he's a child in someone else's home right it's it's a very interesting view that we see in jesus right here just wanted to point that out yeah and this is a, probably another unintentional segue to the next verse uh, that you'll say in just a second <laughs> but i i wonder if um Mary and Joseph didn't recognize the the significance of verse 40 in Jesus's character whenever it says the child grew and became strong and filled with wisdom. Um, and if you take that with what I had said a little bit ago about, you know, that picture of the Deuteronomy, the Shema with, you know, a child being just saturated in all things, God and the Torah with his father, um, if, if we're treating him as an uncommon 12-year-old that was yeah. just eat up with all things that have to do with relating to God yeah. and his fellow man as best as he can. It's almost like Jesus is like, do you, did you not see like my whole life, how much I love this stuff? Like, <laughs> yeah. why, why, why don't you get it? I don't know. I just, yeah, I know. I know. It's, it's very strange sometimes when you see Mary and Joseph and, and I don't, I mean, you got to try to have some some empathy with them as well, right? 
I mean, here they are. It's their little boy, and they love him to death. And, you know, they maybe there's a part of him that, you know what? We just want him to be normal. Mm-hmm. We just want this all to, right? And, and they don't really know what's coming. They don't know what it all means, you know, like exactly how it's going to be worked out. So I don't know. It, it is interesting, though, uh, just just what is going on in their head. But it even says, right? So so they say, man, what are you? What were you thinking? You scared us. And he's going, well, I don't know why. You, you should know I'd be right here. Come on, Ma. Mm-hmm. Well, verse 50, and they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. So, you know, I, I mean, they were there at his birth. Well, his inception. Uh, conception, I should say. <laughs> I got the movie in my head, I guess. His conception <laughs> and his birth, and and they they know that he's going to be Israel's salvation, the Messiah, right? Um, but again, they they've lived this life that was probably, you know, pretty ordinary, but they're involved in a story that's kind of incredible. Even when you're in it, is it is it believable? You know, it's got to be hard. But think about this. Even the words that Luke uses are very interesting because remember, Mary says, your father and I have been searching. And when Jesus answers, he says, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? So Mary is talking about father Joseph Jesus is talking about Father God, right? <laughs> so that just adds to the confusion. But I also want to just point out one little thing about this idea of Father. Um, you know, Samuel, the Jews, they did not want to use God's name for anything ever, right? Mm-hmm. They avoided it as much as possible, and they made up all kinds of different ways to say it. Now, I'm not trying to say that no one else called God Father. I'm not saying that. But if you were to look at a lot of the writings and things that we know from this era, the idea of calling God Father wasn't very common. But as we continue reading, we're going to see that it was very common for Jesus. Hmm. And here we see it, even as a 12-year-old, he's referring to God as his father. So just wanted to point that out because it's, it's going to be important to see it as we work our way through. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. All right, we're almost done. What do we got? Verse 51. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And now, here's Luke again. He's emphasizing that Jesus is being faithful to Torah and the law. How? By being in submission to his parents. We don't think about that much. But here's Jesus He's going from boyhood to manhood. He's starting to figure out who he is, what he's about. I mean, he's, you know, that's a lot for a, a, a person to go through. And in the midst of that, when he recognizes the circumstance and the situation, his response 
is obedience to what he knows to be God's will in the Torah and the law. So I just think it's amazing. You got to figure, 12-year-old boy, do you think there was any part of his little human self that wanted to go his own way? Absolutely. Yeah, but he doesn't. And, And even in this, it's like we see a little image of God, right? He just perfectly obedient, perfectly righteous. It's just awesome. And then here's Mary treasuring things in her heart again. She's soaking it in. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's interesting, like you were talking about, you see her response, but then you also see her treasuring the things in her heart. It's like she also is going through this this weird sort of tension in her life, you know? She wants it to be one way, it looks like it's one way, whatever, and yet she she knows the the, the reality that's there, and, and she's, I guess, in a sense, she's just waiting to see it worked out, right? Mm-hmm. And then finally, verse 52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Now, that should call us back to two places. Luke's already said it once in chapter 1, verse 80, about John the Baptist. He said it just a little bit bit ago in chapter 2, verse 40, about Jesus. And now he's saying it again, but he changes it a little bit. And I think what Luke is doing here is trying to take us back to Samuel in the Old Testament. So what I'd like you to do, if you would, Samuel, is read <laughs> 1 Samuel 2.26. All right. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That's carbon copy. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many little connections there. It's just, it's great. Now, here's the thing. It says, now the boy Samuel. We don't know how old Samuel was when this was spoken about him, but could we just for a moment just speculate? Could we just go for a little conjecture here? How cool would it be if Samuel was about 12 years old when that was said about him? That mega mind explosion. (laughs) If it happened, we don't know. But it's fun to think about. It is. I wanted to say really quickly back in verse 51 about him being submissive to his parents. Um, made me think of Exodus when God gave 10 commandments to Israel. It That's yeah. a, you know, in Jewish culture, they treated that almost like a wedding ceremony. God marrying this nation of people and the 10 commandments was almost like, they called it the ketubah. It was almost like this, the marriage contract to say, this is what... It's yeah. going to be like being in relationship with me. Those are what those 10 things mean. But um, yeah. with one of them in verse 12, this is Exodus 20, it says, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Now, I may be taking this to an exaggerated and extreme level, but there's like a, a cause and an effect in that verse, like, Honor your father and mother, be submissive to them. What's going to be the result of that? 
your days will be prolonged in Israel, in the, the land that God gives you. So in some ways yes. you could say Jesus lives that out by saying that, you know, he's going to have prolonged days forever in that land, in the kingdom. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, the ultimate fulfillment of that. Yeah. Yeah, that's super good. Super good. Hey, um, I wanted to just sort of prepare for the next podcast by saying we've been, again, we're trying to work our way through the Gospels all at once and, and try to make a logical uh, way through. So far, we've been kind of fortunate in that we've been able to bounce back and forth between Gospels and just focus on a single story at a time. Mm-hmm. But starting on the next podcast, um, we're going we're gonna to be looking at stories that are told in two or three different places all at the same time. And so it's going to be quite a trick for us to work our way through and on one hand, make it really clear what the scriptures are that we're looking at so that everybody knows exactly where we are, what we're doing, and at the same time, uh, make it feel uh, like it's still conversational and, and, and not bogged down with you know, well, you're talking too much about technical details, right? So um, go ahead and pray for us. <laughs> <laughs> it might help. And but yeah, we're going to do that next time. This might actually be a good um, segue to us experimenting with putting a PDF in our show notes for next episode with having our document with all of those gospels in a table side by side. We'll we'll make that our goal so that we don't have to delete this part out when we're That's editing. Right. That That's right. You will have something to look at when you're watching not watching, watching and listening to the next episode so that you can have the best possible experience as you can. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully that'll help. And we could probably again, promises, promises, but maybe we can work our way back in time, uh as we get opportunity and, and provide some of that for these initial episodes as well. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Anything else you got? Nope. I think we are done. Okie dokie. Thank you for listening to the Okie dokie most podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so that you are notified when our episodes release on Sunday nights at 7 PM Eastern time so that you never miss an episode. Our podcast is now on both the Apple Podcast app and the Podbean app, so make sure you check us out on your mobile device. We also have a Facebook page. Just search Okie Dokimos and you can like and follow our page as we notify you on our new episodes. And finally, you can also visit us on our official website at okidokimos.com for more information or to listen online. Until next time, we pray that you will do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Talk to you later.